wanting to be a living sanctuary for you. And just understanding and knowing that um, we've been talking lately about through the going through the book of Acts and and the how the, the Holy Spirit descends and has made these these ordinary men courageous cor- what can I speak today? Courageous and and bold. You know, where they were scared and unsure of themselves prior, but with the Holy Spirit looking at all the things that are possible and with the reminder to us that it is the same Holy Spirit that is at work today. This was not a time and place where the Holy Spirit did the work and just left. This is the promise that we've been given as we accept Christ and we submit our lives to him that uh, the Holy Spirit dwells in us he guides us, he molds us, he, he shapes us. And, and with the same Holy Spirit, we're able to be just as courageous, just as bold as we see in our study through the book of Acts. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. So turn with me in your copy of God's Word. Um, if you didn't notice, before we get there, we had a new member on the worship team, Acacia Collins. Thank you so much, Acacia beautiful voice so excited that to have uh some some more people join us there's still room there's still room for some other singers uh, if you play the guitar or, or anything like that other instruments there's still room we're still looking for volunteers to uh, do the work of god in his church so what has god uniquely gifted you with that will be a blessing to others uh, so thank you so much, Acacia, for sharing your gift with us and magnifying our Lord and Savior here um, this morning and going forward. So that's just been a, a huge blessing. I want to acknowledge that. Um, I recently celebrated my 45th birthday a few weeks ago, and my wife was uh, nice enough to let me know that I'm officially middle-aged. Isn't that cool? But being the the person that loves statistics the way I do, I wanted to see if that was in fact the case. And I kind of wish I hadn't because the the life expectancy, we were thinking the life expectancy was around 90. Um, So uh, living to 90 is a pretty healthy life. But when I looked it up, the actual male life expectancy in 2020 is actually (laughs) 75.1. Wow. Some of you are already beyond that life expectancy, and that is a huge blessing. Some of you are inching towards, and, um, uh, and, and, and we, we should also know that this life expectancy is declining each year. For females, they, they're a little smarter, and so they live a little longer to 80.5. So by those numbers, I'm well over middle age. Thank you very much. Uh, nonetheless, these milestones are... Uh, important to look at when we have these these birthdays, these anniversaries. It's important for us to think and, and kind of reminisce about what it was like growing up. Hopefully, I never get past that. You know, with each milestone, look at where I've come from and look where God has placed me today. And I hope that is the case for you as well. Um, the longer I pastor here 
and I speak to other pastors and read books on church growth and revitalization, I understand that uh, people see and react to church growth very differently. You know, just as when we're growing up as individuals, people have different experiences and, and, and things that they go through in their lives, and they look at the world very differently. Some find it easy to be excited and, and celebrate because um, it's in alignment with they, what they hope to accomplish when we talk about the church. They want to reach people for Jesus, and they understand that um, we, we, in order to do that, there's going to be some new and different people that get engaged in the various needs, and the church, because of that, will change. While the gospel message doesn't change, the, the programs, the outreach, the music, the preaching, the teaching, and other things will change in order to meet the needs of the growing congregation, or at least in, in hopes of growing the congregation. Give, given all these things, it's also easy to see how people can have a, a negative view, especially when you're in a 53-year-old church or many people have been here for a long time and think back to the, the heyday when uh, well, there's certain pastors here, certain members, and you did certain programs, sang certain songs, and things of that nature. So when things start to change after you've enjoyed all those years and you've gotten comfortable with everything, now things are starting to look a little different. Now things are starting to feel a little different. Some of the newer people don't enjoy or respond to the things that we've seen in the past although some of us hold some dear, fond memories of what we experienced in the past. This morning, when we look in our text, we're going to read about some growing pains, some growing pains in the early church. It's not just us. And we're only 53 years old, by the way, way past the middle age mark. But we're going to see that we're not the only ones who experience growing pains. We see this from the very beginning. And we'll get some keys to pursuing gospel-centered growth. It's important to notice that there is no gimmicks. There's no flashiness. There's, there's none of this stuff. I mean, they, they didn't have pizza parties and cookouts and all this kind of stuff in order to entice the people to come in. They were focused on Jesus. They were focused on the gospel, and they saw people come in droves by keeping the gospel at the center and the, the, the churches that are caring for others in the community. What we see is the Lord blessing the church with a multitude of converts. God chooses people who embrace the gospel. God chooses people who are obedient to him to build his church. People matter to God, and so people should matter to us as well. Turn with me again in your copy of God's Word. We'll be in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 here this morning. Here God's Word reads, Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give, give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom 
we will appoint to this duty, but we'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And they said, uh, please, the, the, what they said, please the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for the preservation of your word so that we can get some clear instruction on how it is that we ought to live individually and how we ought to live corporately as your people. And as we think about our church here, our, our little church here in, in Bolingbrook, Father, help us to uh, follow your way. Help us to look to you for guidance and strength and courage, boldness, and help us to stand on uh, what it is that is foundational. Help, help us make the main thing the main thing and keep it at the forefront, and that is the gospel, the good news the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, Father, help us to think about those things as we explore your text this morning. Hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength and my redeemer, whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are this morning. Uh, moving through the text of the book of Acts, and it's very important for us to note that being Christian, being a Christ follower, a, a disciple, that it's important for us to know that we need to uh, process and we need to be progressively learning. We need to be continuously improving, looking at our lives and not staying in one place. We need to move from one place in our lives and go to where God is, is shaping us to be as we are in complete submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I often say there's nothing in this world where you can go uh, for uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years or more. There's no place that you can go and stay the same as you were when you first came. If you go to a job and work there for 20 years, they would have an expectation that you would at least understand your role in your job so that when a new person comes in, that they can get it, give them to you so that you can train them. You know, I've been doing this job for 20 years. They should be able to come in and say, hey, we've got this new person. Uh, Johnny's going to come in and he's going to help you out. Lee, since you've been here for 20 years, I want you to teach him your job and how to do it. If Lee goes into, to his boss and says, well, I'm not sure that I feel comfortable doing that. I, I'm not sure that I'm ready. I, I'm not sure I'm gifted to train somebody else to do what I've been doing here for 20 years. What would be the response of your boss should you respond in that way? I'm not sure this is the right place for you. What have you been doing for 20 years that you can't train somebody else? That you can't, you're supposed to be doing this job. Now I need to make sure you've actually been doing it. But yet when we come to church, when we, when we come to uh, uh, learn about our God, we come to, we're supposed to be here learning about what it means to be a disciple. 
But when a new disciple comes in, somebody gets baptized, or you're out and I've been asking you all to share the gospel, share about Jesus just to one person, and people, well, I'm not sure I feel comfortable doing it. I don't know enough. Well, you've been coming here for 20 years. What have you been doing? This is your job. This is your one job. This is the most important job that you have, not to come and fill your space in the pew, but it's to become a disciple so that you can make a disciple. So if, if, we, if you're not started by now, today is the day that we get started, that we get started to be becoming a disciple so that we can train others to be a disciple. Having said that, here's a pop quiz. I've been giving you homework and pop quizzes. Guys are going to stop coming. We're probably just going to keep giving you work to do. But here's a pop quiz. What is our mission statement here at First Baptist Bolingbrook? What is our mission? Wow. Praise God. I heard a few people. Our mission here at First Baptist Bolingbrook is to grow, thrive, and serve. Our mission is to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, thrive as a body of believers, and serve Bolingbrook and the greater community. As you think about us and when we get together week upon week, day by day, I hope that we would live out this mission in Bolingbrook or wherever it is that you're going, wherever you work, wherever you uh, shop, wherever you meet your friends, this, this should be our goal and our aim, our mission here as a church to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to thrive as a body of believers and serve Bolingbrook and the greater community. Like most things in life, we should expect problems when it comes to the church and church growth. Sometimes when you read through the book of Acts, it's really easy to romanticize all the things that are going on and really get excited. We should be like them, and they did all these things great, and it was perfect back in the day. I wish you, we can go back to the days it was perfect. It was never perfect. You know, things didn't always go the, the greatest way. This is absolutely an exciting time in the church when we read through the book of Acts, and they are kind of a, a model for us here today. But while they might be a model, they certainly were not perfect. And it's awesome to read about the thousands and thousands of people who came to know Christ and follow him. But amongst the winds, like we see here in our text, there were definitely some failures. And one of those failures is highlighted this morning in our text today. The people were failing to attend to those uh, who were in need. They failed, to, uh, they failed to look after the widows that were amongst them. In James 1 and 27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. This is why I love reading Scripture, because as I read through the pages of Scripture, um, if, if it was me, I would clean some of this stuff up and make it look better. I, I would make it look as if it were perfect, right? Because I want to encourage other people, but God knows better, because I'm actually encouraged by seeing the failures. So then I can look at the text, like, oh, praise God, it's not just me. I'm glad I'm not the only one that falls on my face or doesn't do exactly what I need to be doing or should be doing. But God used them 
he can certainly use somebody like me as well. He can use these imperfect people that we read about in Scripture. And the same is true for you. He can use you as well, as imperfect as you might be. Another thing that is good for us to see is that failure isn't necessarily the result of sin. When we fail, uh, sometimes it's, it's just that we're finite and fallible human beings. Sometimes we just mess stuff up just because we're messed up people. Sometimes it is because of sin, but oftentimes it's just because we are just human. Did the, did the apostles care for the widows? Of course they did. They just got so busy with so many other things and, uh, that it just slipped through the, the wayside. It just slipped through the cracks. I'm sure they tried to do as much as they could, but they were human and they were few. As I read through this, this reminds me of Moses in Exodus chapter 18. Um, as, when they went through the Exodus, people were lined up from morning until evening to talk to Moses so that um, God could settle the disputes of the people. And uh, Moses' father-in-law comes in and he sees all this and, and he says, hey man, you, you can't do all this stuff by yourself. You can't have these people waiting out here from morning to night and, and think you're going to be able to uh, solve all the disputes that we see here. You just can't do it all by yourself. Exodus 18 and 21 says, uh, Moreover, look for able men from all people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. And then let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter that, that they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. And if you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people will, will also go in their place in peace. This wisdom comes in uh, from Moses' father-in-law. He sees what's going on, and he's like, you're, you're trying to do too much. I have people pull me to the side very often, like, hey, you're, you're trying to do too much. Why don't you uh, ask for some help? Why don't you get some people and, and delegate some of these things out? Matter of fact, you're not even good at all these things, so it's probably better if you ask somebody else to do it. We see this example here early in, in Exodus, and the apostles should have thought about this as well. They, they should, it should have occurred to them, but again, they're human and they're few. So they needed this reminder as well. And, and it just happened to come up when the, the widows complained about what is going on. So we see this decision made to fill out the roles and responsibilities of the church. Look back with me in, in uh, verse 2. It says, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up the preaching and teaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom will appoint to his duty. Uh, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So here what we see happening is this, this text makes a distinction between those responsible for the preaching and teaching and those responsible for the distribution of food and serving of the community. Here we see, the, we find the description of the selection of kind of the start of what we see in the, the first deacons, so to speak. 
who would serve the physical needs of God's people while the apostles uh, and eventually the elders and the pastors would address the spiritual needs. And, and I want to be sure that you understand it's not because these other things, the serving and distribution of food, I'm not saying that is that these things are unimportant. In fact, it was so important that it required someone with a good reputation. It required somebody who was full in spirit and wisdom. So these seven men were to take over the duty of the food distribution specifically, and they would later develop and into being responsible for taking care of the practical needs of the rest of the congregation. These are, are so important. When we think about serving, I think we have a diminished view of what that service is. I've seen people go out to eat and treat the waste staff poorly, you know, as if they're servants. They're, they're doing a job, they're doing a role, and they, we might call them servers, but it's not because they're beneath you. And in fact, it takes a special kind of person to do a job like that, to go and have to deal with people like us who tip poorly, who send their food back three or four times, or have some crude or crass things to say to them. It takes a special kind of person to be able to deal with the public like that. And praise God that uh, yeah, we do have other people. I'm not suited for that role but they are not beneath us. They, they ought to be elevated. Or even here in the church, you know, people say, well, I just, I don't have any special skills, you know, I, I, but I love to vacuum. Really? You love to, love to vacuum? Well, that's a gift right there, let me tell you. Because not everybody loves to vacuum, but God has uniquely gifted you with that gift. And praise God for it because like, again, not everybody has a gift, and this floor needs to be vacuumed. <laughs> or whatever it is that your gift is. Um, we have, we're having a cookout, and I already know who's going to be in the kitchen washing the dishes because they're gifted, and they enjoy that, and we praise God for you who do those things. So here we have um, this, this view of who is serving the people in the congregation and this need all came about because of the complaints from the Greek-speaking widows. And even though this was a legitimate issue that needed to be addressed, it, it really, they really shouldn't have gone by in complaining about it. This type of complaining leads to gossip and is ungodly. Even though they were surfacing an issue that was definitely a problem, they did it in the wrong way. They should have gone to the apostles and, and let them know about what was going on, help them to be aware, but instead they just wanted to complain to everybody else and talk about it. And word got around to the apostles. Now they, they jumped in and took care of it, but it should have been handled a little, little differently. 1 Corinthians 10 and 9 says, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. This grumble is uh, another word that we use for gossip. Philippians 2 and 14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, without complaining, without gossiping. It's easy to fall into this, though, right? 
And some of us get into the habit of it and we get around certain people and like, oh, did you hear? Can you believe? And I, I don't know why. And some, we just have to shut it down. Make sure that we're not participating in it. And we'd help our brother and sister and say, hey, let's time out here. This is not the right way that we should be talking about this. You know, let's, let's handle it. If this is, is a, this is a problem, let's go tell somebody who has the authority to deal with it so we can get it dealt with as opposed to going to everybody else who has no authority and you just want to hear each other talk and complain about it. In order to maintain unity, they should have taken this legitimate problem to the leaders. And we see that once the leadership understood the issue, they went and sought to address the problem. And they wanted to ensure that um, they wanted to leave any cultural tension. They wanted to leave anything that might cause someone else to sin. This distinction between the Hellenists and the Hebraic Jews refers to uh, cultural and linguistic differences in these two groups of people. So uh, we have these people that are coming from all around, and many Jews whose primary language was Greek um, were converted to Christianity. So we have the Pharisees who despised the Greek-speaking Jews and looked at them as second-class citizens. So not only uh, they, they see the, oh, these things are happening, but is stemming from the, the, the view that these Pharisees had, what they are accust, accustomed to. So when many of these widows moved back to Jerusalem after they lost their husbands, then they needed to be cared for. They're now side by side with those Hebrew widows who had already looked down on them. They were already treated differently. They were already treated badly. So when the Greek and the Hellenistic believers, they felt like they were being neglected. And so when, when the, they were doing the, the charity, remember earlier in Acts where they, everybody was selling their goods and bringing it in and the apostles were giving it to those in need. So when all these things were happening, these, these Hellenists, they felt neglected in this charity distribution. They might have felt like it was on purpose. Like, oh, here we go again. They already don't like us. Now they're withholding these things. And we, we need the stuff that, that they have. We, we're trying to get by on the, the best way we can. And they're just continuing to treat us wrongly. So this existing structure of the church was unable to meet the growing needs and demands. So as I'm reading this, it sounds so familiar to um, what we experience today in our own church. And not of anybody's fault, stuff just happens. Things slip through the cracks, and uh, some people, unfortunately, they don't get called when they, they, they hope they would get called or get checked on or, or whatever the case may be. Things just happen. But again, should we notice anything like that, bring it to the leadership, bring it to myself, bring it to one of our deacons so that we can at least be aware of it and rectify any issues that comes up. So as we navigate through this, we've got to keep in mind that the main thing needs to be forefront. When, when things aren't working, our instinct is to look to tradition when we should actually be looking to Scripture. When things aren't working the way we're accustomed to, like, well, uh, back in 89, what really worked for us is to do these things, to have these programs and these events, as opposed to going to Scripture and say, well, this is what Scripture has laid out for us to do as a church. What are we missing? 
What is it that God has instructed us to do as a people, as a church, that maybe we're not living up to? It's important for us to understand biblical priorities. And this is what the apostles show us. They see a problem happening with the widows, and they say, well, the main thing has to be the main thing. We've got to continue the preaching and the teaching. So in order for us to focus on those things, then we need some people to dedicate to the distribution and the caring for those in the congregation. Every day I pray for you and your family. And in fact, um, Nancy's going to be helping me out a little bit more with that. I have a, a, a prayer calendar. I've got all your names in the calendar where I sit in the morning and I just pray for you. Pray for you by name and pray for your families. And Nancy's going to be reaching out to you and asking you how I can be praying for you, you know, uh, as the, the week comes up. And so when she does this, I hope that you'll share any specific ways that I can be praying for you. If there's anything going on in your home or, or if there's something that you don't feel comfortable sharing with her, then you, that'll prompt you to give me a call and you can share it with me directly or send me an email or a text so I can be praying for you and your specific needs. Along with prayer, uh, preaching is another fundamental component. There's no church uh, where the gospel isn't preached. If you go to a, a church and they're not opening the scriptures, they're not uh, preaching the gospel, you're actually not in the church. You might be in a motivational talk or something like that. You might be getting entertained. But if they're not expounding on the scriptures, if they're not talking about uh, Jesus and him crucified, then they're, they're pretty much wasting your time. They're wasting their own time. I was recently uh, talking to a pastor friend of mine who said he talked to a lady that went to a church and she didn't hear the gospel for six weeks. They didn't talk about Jesus not one time. They didn't talk about the crucifixion, not even hinted around it once. So either she wasn't listening or the place that she attended wasn't a church. And this is a shame. Again, this is our job. This is what we're here to do. This is the most important thing in life, that we would hear the gospel, be trained, be changed by that message. We will become a disciple so that we can go make disciples. This is our role. This is our aim. So to go somewhere where that's not happening is a wasted life. And I pray for those people because when they get to see uh, the, the Father face to face and have to give an account, they, they, they're going to think they're good. I went to church all those years, but they were never converted. They never heard the gospel. They never shared the gospel. Man, this is our goal, this is our aim, that we would grow, that we would thrive, and that we would serve. I'm blessed that we have deacons here that love the Lord and that they're committed to service to our God and his people. These men exemplify what we are seeing in our text this morning. We see it spelled out and, and more fully in the New Testament as we continue to go through. So you'll see these men serving as we go into our fellowship this afternoon and into our cookout and things. Make sure, if not today, um, or even whenever you think about them, that you pray for them and that you, you tell them specifically, thank you. 
Thank you for what you're doing. We have Lee who is here. We have John who is here, been deacons for a long time. Uh, Victor is our deacon candidate who has been learning what it looks like to be a deacon here at First Baptist Bolingbrook. Be sure to thank them for the, the job and the role that they're doing um, and making calls and praying for you, um, helping out with special events, uh, helping with the helping the community with benevolence and all those kind of things. This this role is vitally important to our church. And if you're here today and you feel uh, you have a service-minded uh, attitude and heart, um, we certainly need more folks like the man I've just named here that can help us with uh, all the things that God has put forward for us to do. For them, these men here that I've named, they serve in the capacity of deacons. However, as members of this church and more directly Christians, we're all called to serve. So you're not absolved from the fact of, well, I'm not a deacon, so I don't have to. We're all called to serve God's people. We are all ministers. God puts people in our path, surrounds us with people so that we can share the good news to them so that we can serve them. That might look like um, in your job or uh, whatever you do day to day. It might even just look like, you know, put, picking up some trash as you go into the grocery store or something. A way to, or a matter of fact, put the cart in the cart place where the cart goes. <laughs> that's, that's a service. Because uh, uh, I don't know, I'm a rule follower. So when I see the, the curse, the cart's just you know, propped up somewhere, I'm like, well, the, the thing is right there. The least you can do is just take it to where the cards go. But maybe that's you called to serve. First Baptist Bolingbrook isn't a place where you come just to hear sermons. When you come into the building, you might like the seat that you're sitting in, but that's not your assigned seat. When you come here, it's, it's for you so that uh, you can come and be of service to the Lord. First Baptist Bolingbrook is a vehicle by which people in the community encounter the love of Christ when we are his hands and feet. Deacons help to provide an example of service. They provide an example of harmony and unity, but they're not the only ones responsible for living this way. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we should all exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going to challenge you today continuing our challenge to, to, to share the good news with somebody this week. Just one person, or at least one person. I've heard uh, some extra stories last week that came in, and people are saying, let me tell you what happened. I got the opportunity to share the gospel. I don't want you to miss out on this joy, this joy that others people are already feeling when they, they are praying about, God, would you send me somebody that I get to share the gospel with? And they actual, actually follow through and do it. Vic had a great story for, for me this week. His grandchildren came into town, and they came, and he got to show them around the church, and he got to share the gospel with them. And they had some interesting questions back at them. Fortunately, Vic has read, read the Bible a few times, and he was able to feel some of those questions. But man, this is exactly what we need. I want to get this snowball going so that I hear these stories at least several times a week. Let me tell you what happened. 
Let me tell you who I got to share the gospel with this week. And that will turn into people getting to know Christ. They will be submitting their lives to him. They will, they will come here to hear more of the gospel, the good news. They will come to be able to sing hymns to him. And then they will uh, finally ask, what must I do to be saved? I would love to come and worship. And we spent half the time in this baptistry, baptizing those that, that came into your life and that you got to share the good news with. And because of that, we fill the baptistry. I would love to see that day. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this time and opportunity that we have here today to follow. And, and again, uh, as we read through your text this morning, help us to, to see our role in your story so that we can uh, not only fulfill the needs and do the work of the church, make sure that people are being taken care of and their needs are being tended to, but also how we can serve the needs of those in the community. How is it that we can be the hands and feet of Christ? Father, how have you uniquely gifted each and every one of us to go and touch the lives of the people that we come into contact with? Help us to realize that and help us to step out on faith, uh, um, infused by the Holy Spirit and, and given boldness and cour courageousness to go and share this gospel story so that people might become to know you. Father, we thank you for everything that you've done, all the things that you would continue to do. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.